Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. Today's discussion is on Lewy body disorder, also known as Lewy body dementia or dementia with Lewy bodies. A Lewy body is simply an abnormal protein found in the brains of some individuals who have had dementia. And we are very, very blessed today to have as a guest Dr. Carol Lippa. She is Professor and Interim Chair of the Department of Neurology and Director of the Memory Disorders Program at Drexel University College of Medicine in the city of Brotherly Love, Philadelphia a board-certified academic neurologist with an international reputation in the neurobiology of aging and dementia. She um, is just uniquely gifted to be addressing the issues of the dementias generally. She has been a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the UK Lewy Body Society, uh, for the uh, Frontotemporal Dementia Society, for the Lewy Body Dementia Association um, here in the United States. And uh, I think that you will very much enjoy our discussion. So, Dr. Lippa, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me tonight. When I look at your um, curriculum vitae, your CV, and look at the number of different journals that you have reviewed manuscripts for, the grants that you have reviewed, the grants you have administered, the publication history that you have, I am just delighted that we have 57 minutes to sit and talk. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. This is an important disorder or group of disorders, and it's wonderful that we can bring some visibility to it tonight. Provide some clarification, perhaps. Yes. Uh, Let's begin with this. What is Lewy body dementia or Lewy body disorder or disease? Well, it's really, it's a group of uh, disorders, really, and they have a a variety of symptoms that really fall into three groups. Uh, The first one is a, a dementia or a cognitive problem. Uh, they have uh, often have Parkinsonism or Parkinson's disease, and they fluctuate, have hallucinations, and a variety of other symptoms. So it's it's really a symptom complex. Um, and when someone looks over the list and 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 sees them, you can distinguish it quite clearly from Alzheimer's disease or other conditions of older people that that uh, lead to cognitive, dis- you know, cognitive decline. 
So in essence, we're looking at Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and then Lewy body disease, which bears a lot of resemblance to each, but has its own unique features as well. That's right. That's right. I mean, uh, both the Lewy body disease patient and a Parkin and a um, Alzheimer's patient can have forgetfulness. That's common to both, but a Lewy body disease will have more trouble than an Alzheimer's patient with the sense of direction, spatial relationships, planning, organizing things, keeping track. Where where an Alzheimer's patient really um, starts initially just with you know, just the forgetfulness, not not remembering, not forming new memories. And it isn't until later when these other symptoms come in. The Lewy body patient often fluctuates, too, where an Alzheimer's patient is pretty much always forgetful. They can't ever, you know, uh, remember these, these minor little things and then major things, where a Lewy body patient might be very, very conversant and focused and organized at one time and then, you know, quite uh, disorganized with poor focus and concentration, you know, episodes of confusion, etc. at other times. So there's a lot of variability uh, in the Lewy body disease patient that you don't see in Alzheimer's. Why do you think there are such fluctuations in the Lewy body patient? A lot of the Lewy body disease relates to a problem with the chemistry in the brain where Alzheimer's relates a little bit to the chemistry, but more to a loss of um, connections between different parts of the brain and loss of connections affects the thinking area. So then, you know, the memory formation areas where you form new memories first and then it spreads to other areas. Whereas in, in Lewy body diseases or Lewy body disorders, a fair amount of the problem isn't related to a loss of the connections, but um, a fluctuation in, in the chemicals that, that transmit so, so that they can transmit uh, too efficiently, over-efficiently, too much at points where you might hallucinate or see things, you know, have, have extra things, you know, that aren't there. And another time, you know, have everything slow down as the, the chemicals decline in the brain. So, so that would uh, then, I guess, introduce the topic of uh, alpha-synuclein. Would you mention what that is and what role it plays in Lewy body disease? Yeah, it's alpha-synuclein is a brain protein. We all have proteins all over our bodies, and all the cells have proteins in them. And brain cells have some proteins that all cells have, but they also have some that are specific to brain cells, to neurons. <clears throat> Alpha-synuclein is one, of those, is one of those proteins. And in Lewy body disease, the alpha-synuclein, it sort of goes around. It stops, it stops um, its normal localization and it kind of aggregates in the, in the cells in the form of of what we call Lewy bodies that a pathologist can see under the microscope. So really it's a just a brain protein that um, is abnormally processed and then it, it just kind of gums up the works of the brain cells, if you will, so the person can't really think properly and they don't release the brain chemicals correctly. It's what really under- key. It's 
it's sort of the biological heartbeat of Lewy body dementia. Right. But what understanding do we have now about potential causes of Lewy body disease? I mean, well, we, we, we see the, lot, um, the molecular yeah. pathology, of course, but... Well, the causes are... You, do you mean the causes of the biological causes in the brain, or do you mean risk yes, factors? Uh, or, yes, the biological causes. The biological what causes, causes the process? Well, once in a blue moon, there are genetic causes that run in the family. The good news with this condition is that most of the time, it is not... Genetic, you know, the person's parents, cousins, brothers, sisters don't have it, but that is one biological cause, and you can actually have a genetic abnormality in the in the gene that codes for alpha synuclein that can cause this disease, and you can have abnormalities in other genes that cause uh, Parkinson's like uh, syndromes and dementia-like syndromes that can cause symptoms like Lewy body disease. But the good news for most people who have a loved one with Lewy body disease is that it usually is not. It's, it's more luck of the draw um, that's associated uh, with the condition. The similarities to Alzheimer's and Parkinson's are, uh, they continue to be striking in terms of uh, there being some type of an abnormal protein structure which develops and there being the the rare familial or, or uh, inherited right. form of it right. and most commonly what we would call sporadic. In, um, in that, Parkinson's, it actually is the same protein that causes the disease. It's this alpha-synuclein protein that forms the Lewy bodies. In Parkinson's disease, they form in areas of the brain that are in charge of, of movement, control of movement. So not strength as much as the fluidity of movement, the spontaneity of movement, the, the brain's um, speed and efficiency of movement, and to keep you from moving excessively so that a patient with Parkinson's will have a slowness of movement, a lack of spontaneous movement, and they might have some tremor and shakiness. Um, in Lewy body dementia, the same types of biology happen. The Lewy bodies form, the alpha-synuclein is abnormal, but it occurs in the mood and the thinking areas of the brain. So it's this, it's very similar biology. It just happens to be the uh, the pattern of distribution in the brain, just the region where the pathology happens to develop that determines whether you get something that looks like Parkinson's disease first or something that gets that looks like Lewy body disease first. Right. How many uh, cases of Lewy body disorder are estimated to be in the United States? Oh, you know, it's so hard to tell because all everyone has a, a different idea, and it depends on how you look, and it, there are all sorts of um, problems with um, just criteria and validating the clinical diagnoses. So it's really all over the map, but Probably um, a lot of people think it's maybe a fifth of that of, of Alzheimer's disease or perhaps more. I think the prevalence is uh, over a million, something like 1.3 million Americans. However, it really, um, it really depends on 
the criteria used uh, for those estimates, but it is not as uncommon as one would think. And a lot of people haven't heard of dementia with Lewy bodies or Lewy body dementias, and a lot of doctors aren't even that familiar with the condition. But they're over, they're easily over a million Americans who have it now, so it really is not a, a rare problem at all. Um, and a lot of people think it is the second most common cause of dementia after Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's, there are over 5 million Americans. So those are kind of comparative numbers. It may be about a third as many as people who have Alzheimer's disease. And, and as with there are a lot of people that are assumed to have Alzheimer's, when you actually look at the symptoms they have, they may have... Uh, they may have both concurrently, or they may actually have Lewy body disease. It's interesting that um, in clinical care, you know, we don't have the the pure cases. You know, most cases of dementia that we see are not people that would qualify, for example, for drug studies because of multiple dementing disorders potentially, or because of other health issues as well, which would impact on cognitive functioning. Um, but um, I understand that uh, the, the the symptom set does not necessarily occur all at the beginning, the cognitive change, the uh, you know the REM sleep behavior disorder, mm -hmm. the uh, hallucinations and things like that, that they don't necessarily all present at the same time when a, a patient comes to his uh, or her physician's office. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. In fact, the REM behavior disorder, where people just kick around and fight in their sleep, can occur decades before any other symptoms of Lewy body disease, and that's one of the things that that us as physicians do when we first see a patient with dementia. We'll ask for a history of a, something like a REM behavior disorder, you know, any time in their life, because that's an indication that there's really something wrong with that alpha-synuclein pathway, that it's more likely a Lewy body process than an Alzheimer's disease kind of process. And then as far as the cognitive symptoms go, when the Parkinson's disease symptoms, the, the, the lack of movement, the tremor, the slowness of movement occur first and are present for over a year before any mental or behavioral symptoms occur, then we call it Parkinson's or Parkinson's dementia as the symptoms evolve. Uh, but there are just as many cases that present with confusion and then maybe later on develop the Parkinsonian symptoms. Well, thank you for that another? clarification. Pardon? Uh, uh, thank you for that clarification. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, I would like to follow up on the point that you were just making. So please stay with us. We will be back in three minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. 
The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. We are back, and thank you for staying with us. You know, I had not had the uh, opportunity to meet Dr. Lippa before, but I certainly am familiar with her name from reading the neurology research literature. But uh, I approached the Lewy Body Dementia Association to ask for someone who could speak knowledgeably on this topic. And I want to give our listeners that website address for the Lewy Body Dementia Association. It is www. You knew that part. LB lbda.org lbda.org and I think that you will find them very helpful as I did Uh, before we went to break we were talking about some of the clinical characteristics of uh, Lewy body disease and I would like to ask you Dr. Lippa would you talk some now about the clinical course of the disease Sure. The course is, um, it is a bit variable overall, and some of it depends on what symptoms occur first and what combination of symptoms occur. Overall, it progresses slowly. It's a chronic disease. The life expectancy in general is probably five to seven or eight years, which is a little bit shorter than Alzheimer's, but not so much so. Um, It depends on a number of a number of things, though, and I've had patients that have uh, passed in less than two years, and I have patients that can go on 20 or more years, so it, it really is quite quite variable. Um, in, in general, as far as progression, it, sometimes um, patients will um, 
continue to progress at their same rate in that those that have a, a quicker course initially um, may continue to progress more quickly. Those with younger onsets sometimes do. Um, and those with a slower initial progression tend to progress more slowly. Um, there are certain things that would suggest a quicker progression when you have both the cognitive and the motor symptoms. Those patients don't tend to do as well and they tend to progress more quickly because someone with a cognitive problem but a, a very robust motor system can compensate better and similarly someone with Parkinson's disease who's normal mentally can can compensate and when you have the the two combined uh, there have been several studies that show that that patients don't don't do as well so uh, that's one thing and then in the in the patient that starts with just Parkinson's really the um, the loss of balance in their posture and the development of dementia are the big factors that really suggest they might progress uh, more rapidly over time. Um, patients, once they have a symptom, they usually keep it. If you have the cognitive symptoms or the mood symptoms, the hallucinations or the Parkinsonism, you don't go through a phase where you will have it and then you don't. You still have it. But people tend to acquire additional symptoms over time so that five years down the road, a lot of people with predominantly motor symptoms will have both and a lot of people with cognitive symptoms will have Parkinsonism, hallucinations, fluctuation, etc. by the end of the uh, time period. What is the the relationship of, of the onset of symptoms and the diagnosis to age? Well, age is the biggest risk factor for Lewy body disease. We don't see it in five year olds or ten year olds or twenty year olds, and people who are older um, are more likely to get it. So, age is a, is a huge risk factor. We used to think it was a disease of men over eighty, uh, but now we realize that really both genders are are um, frequent frequently have it, and and we have patients that can be can be somewhat younger with it. Uh, especially those presenting with Parkinson's disease. You can get that in 40s, 50s, or early 60s even. Even as young as Michael J. Fox was when he developed it. Right, and in, right. In, uh, and he has done so much for this classification of disorders. In uh, Alzheimer's disease, you know, we've recognized that uh, the molecular disease process, the microscopic disease process, I should, should say, uh, is active probably for 20, maybe 25 years before symptoms show up. Do we have a sense for how long the uh, alpha-synuclein um, abnormalities are accumulating before the symptoms show up? We don't have quite as much, but there have been autopsy studies on completely normal people who have had neurologic examinations, and they show small number of Lewy bodies in the substantia the Parkinson's area or other areas of the brain, um, and they can, they can be completely asymptomatic. So we know that, that there are, you know, the disease process does start, and pathology studies also show that they're about 
in the in the Parkinson's patient, there something like seventy percent of the neurons are affected by the time an individual gets symptoms. So these are progressive diseases where you first get the Lewy body and then you get the cell loss way down the road. So probably the process is present for years, if not even decades, similar to what it means in Alzheimer's disease. It's interesting, and the longer each of these diseases goes, I, I guess to some extent, the more they look like each other in that you have multiple areas of functioning that have become symptomatic, uh, although that's not uh, always the yeah. case. In, in end-stage disease, what we call people with very advanced disease that really need assistance with activities of daily living, it's very hard to tell what the diagnosis is. You ask them, questions of mental functioning to see if they're more amnestic, just more of a memory problem like in Alzheimer's if they have a problem with, you know, attention and focus and so forth like the Lewy body problem. And, you know, we use the, the differences, the strengths and weaknesses to determine what the diagnosis most likely is. But in someone who can't provide any correct answers or do any problem solving, you know, it's just very hard to to tell, a lot of it depends on the history. You know, were the hallucinations there? Was the REM behavior Mm -hmm. disorder there? Did they fluctuate? Did they have early Parkinsonism? Is that also true neuropathologically? In other words, um, do uh, cases with Lewy body disorder tend to show the beta amyloid plaques and the neurofibrillary tangles late in the disease also or at autopsy, of course? Absolutely. About over 80% have the plaques, the amyloid plaques that you see in Alzheimer's disease. And a fair number, over half, also have low levels of the neurofibrillary tangles. They're not as high as they are in Alzheimer's disease. But the majority of patients with Lewy body diseases, and this is one of the reasons it's tough to diagnose, the majority have some degree of Alzheimer's pathology as well. And there are studies that look at it, and the more Alzheimer's pathology there is, the more Alzheimer's the patient looks clinically. Uh, But there are a lot of patients that just have a lot of both. So... It's is very the con- hard for clinical trials, and in patients and families want to know what the disease is, what the diagnosis is, and we do see a lot of patients that really have features of both. And that, of course, leads to the question, you know, we have, uh, we're talking about two different irreversible conditions. In other words, there's not a treatment that can be done that makes the disease go away. They're both treatable symptomatically, but mm-hmm. um, what is the significance of uh, attending to the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease versus Lewy body disease. How? Why is that important? Well, for one, I'm going to correct you a little bit, if I can, on having disease-modifying treatments, because I think in Alzheimer's, we're fairly close. We're so close, yes. It is, it is important to make the diagnosis, because in two or three years, we could have an FDA-approved treatment for it. Now, we're not that close in the Lewy body diseases. We've known about amyloid for decades, and clinical trials have been going on. And at this point, you know, it looks like we're pretty close to have something to offer patients with prodromal or very early Alzheimer's. Lewy body disease, we are 
probably five to ten years behind where we are in Alzheimer's. But still, it's important to know what you're dealing with. First of all, people want to know what they have. They want to know. They have the right to know. Why shouldn't they? I'd want to know. Um, and that's one thing. But also the, the, um, the impact of the drugs, the medications you might use, the medications you would avoid, or doses you would use are different. They also, the Lewy body patients also have sensitivity to a lot of medications uh, that you should be aware of so you know to avoid them. So even if we can't make Lewy body disease go away at this point, there are a lot of medications that we have to treat the Parkinsonism. There are medications we have to treat the cognitive symptoms. There are medications we have to treat the hallucinations and the anxiety they suffer and the other distressing emotional symptoms that they have. But they differ from, they differ a, a bit. In nuance, they differ from those who are given Alzheimer's patients. Well, we are going to go to a break in about 30 seconds or so here, but uh, just uh, summarizing basically the symptom picture, we have three categories of symptoms, the movement problems, the cognitive problems, and then this set of symptoms that sometimes goes under the heading of psychotic symptoms, but hallucinations that may or may not occur with delusions that may or may not occur with agitation. So uh, when we come back from the break, I would like for you, uh, Dr. Lippa, to help us to understand that uh, last symptom complex, the psychotic symptoms, and how they are targeted in treatment. We are going to go to a break now, and I thank you for staying with us, and uh, we will return with Dr. Lippa in just a couple of minutes. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Thank you for staying with us on this discussion of Lewy body disease, and we are talking with Dr. Carol Lippa, who is the professor and interim chair of the Department of Neurology at Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia, and she is a wealth of information and has a strong commitment to educating the public, and uh, Dr. Lippa, I welcome you back again for this next segment. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here tonight. We talked about three different sets of symptoms that are seen with Lewy body disease, one of them being the movement disorder that has a lot of resemblance to uh, Parkinson's disease. One is the cognitive stuff, the memory problems and things like that, that bears a lot of resemblance to Alzheimer's disease. Then we have these symptoms involving hallucinations and at times delusions and agitation. Would you talk some about that set of symptoms? Yes, these are often the most distressing symptoms and some of the most difficult to deal with in these, in these patients. You know, just in contrast, the Alzheimer patient early on in the disease, they, they don't get these problems so much. In the middle stages, they might get a little more behavioral manifestation, but they, they don't usually take on a life of their own. A patient with Lewy body disease can actually present with delusions, visual hallucinations. In fact, visual hallucinations are really a key clinical feature to the disease, and they're and they're very they're very distressing. They're not um, they're not at all uh, benign. A lot of the time, they they're often animals or people. Um, they they uh, can be very threatening or very frightening, attacking. You know, people think there's someone in their house and they can see it and someone breaking in or they're being attacked by various animals. And I've had many a time patients will, you know, call the police or they'll run out of the house or they'll, you know, they'll do things that they think they need to get, you know, baseball bat or something to protect themselves from, from these kinds of attacks. And it, it's extremely distressing to the individual, and it's also a huge management issue for the caregivers. Um, so it, it's a very tough and very distinctive problem, and these patients can actually present with this kind of thing. You know, patients with schizophrenia can hallucinate, but a lot of it is auditory. Lewy body patients can get auditory, but visual is more prominent or both. Um, a schizophrenic will have the symptoms all their life, and they'll be put on a medicine for schizophrenia as a, as a young adult. And, and this is a completely different kettle of fish. These people don't have a psychiatric history. They've been as normal as you or I throughout their life, and then all of a sudden, when they're 60, 70, 75, 80, they start getting these very frightening uh, and disabling hallucinations. They also can get delusions which are really just a, a, a kind of a false belief, you know, something that, you know, they'll think there's some, 
one in their house, but they won't actually see them. When these people see them, they can actually describe the people, what they're wearing, what they look like, what color their hair is, how tall they are, and so forth. Delusions are when you just believe someone else is in your house, or you believe, you know, your spouse is having an affair, you believe that someone who's dead is still alive, or something's poisoned. Um, They also can get illusions, which are just... From distortions of a real thing, they might think that a a model a, a cat or something is a is a is a real tiger or something, you know, where the features of it are distorted. They can get agitation and they can get anxiety. And again, it's very it's very difficult. It's very disabling. It's distressing both the patient and the caregiver. So it is. Um, it can be tough and. The key point in treatment is that you have to keep the individual safe. You want to keep them comfortable, but the medicines all have risks, so you want to see if there are other strategies that can help these patients as well. Once in a while, you'll have someone that, you know, might, you know, see someone in the room and you can say, no, there isn't anyone there. Your mind's playing a trick on you or there just isn't anyone there. I know you see it and and that'll be all right, or they might see little children or little kittens or or something that's that's non-threatening. And I had one patient who saw, like, blue-haired ladies, and <laughs> the blue-haired ladies never caused a problem. So we thought, mm-hmm. well, why treat them, you know? We just kept track of them. We made sure they didn't get frightening. Um, but there's no need to subject patients to the risk of the medication, the medications for psychosis, all they're what we call black box medications. They mm-hmm. they have very serious potential side effects: heart attack, stroke, death, things that are are very risky. Um, you don't want to use them if you don't have to. So if they're they're just very benign illusions or delusions or hallucinations, and you can either talk the person out of it kind of a reality-based reorientation, mm-hmm. or it just doesn't bother, you know, it doesn't affect anything in a negative way, you may not you know, want to treat them. You have to treat them when they really pose a safety issue to the individual, or you know, some of these people are just so distraught, you really have to, to treat them just to help them get more comfortable. If um, if one has never seen someone hallucinating, you know, it can be a pretty shocking thing, I think. And I've, I try to differentiate, and, and tell me whether you think that I'm off base here, but very often in Alzheimer's disease, what may seem to be a hallucination really is a distorted perception, a misperception, something yeah. as easy as... Um, a car headlight shining through the bedroom window and maybe into a mirror at night or or something right. along those lines. In schizophrenia, the hallucinations tend to be so emotionally charged and tied up into the impaired thought process there. Um, and in uh, Lewy body disease, the, they're not necessarily benign. As you said, nobody wants a bunch of strangers sitting in the bedroom watching them sleep, you know, or nobody wants to have raccoons running around in the house or children playing in the attic but uh, but they don't carry the the emotional intensity that hallucinations in schizophrenia right. carry right right so well fine Louis by disease sometimes they do other dimensions they almost never do 
blue body, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And the optimal thing really is if you can sort of talk them down, you know, reorient them, convince them, um, if you can. If Sometimes they, they aren't rational enough to do that and they'll think not only do they have this, you know, animal attacking them, they have you to deal with because you don't even see it, you know. So you have to kind of take it take it as it comes. Um, and ideally, you would treat them, you know, behaviorally, just with the, with the strategies. Um, if you have to go to medications, then, then you can, and you always want to use the uh, most safe and least... Uh, risky medicines that you can to to try to treat them. Sometimes you can give them just a a mild uh, medication, SSRIs or medications that just kind of dial someone who would be aggressive or agitated back and just kind of mellow them out a little bit Mm -hmm. and that can make things more manageable. And with the hallucinations, medications that may um, more directly address the reactivity to the hallucination rather than having to use the the uh, medications that have the black box warning. Right, right. If you can do that, and if you can stay calm yourself, and it's not only behavioral strategies on the patient, it's those on you, because people that are very matter-of-fact um, will will have a, a calming or normalizing influence on the individual, whereas if you're distraught because of the person seeing something, you know, then <laughs> then they're just going to get more upset and agitated. So you it kind cer- of have to take a behavioral is. approach to your own heart rate as well as, as your loved ones. You know, I I do uh, a training in Alzheimer care facilities at times, and one of the things that I try to teach the staff to just imprint into their brains is check the patient for safety, check yourself for adrenaline rush, you know, and, right, and that's the right. one too, and then you can go forward from there. So, um, the um, at times these psychotic symptoms with Lewy body disease may. Uh, lead to a trip to the emergency room, more so than with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, I think. What can be done in the emergency room with this? Well, sometimes when I I think of these trips to the the emergency room as the the fluctuation when the chemicals in the brain are really off and they're they're just really distraught and they just really um, are out of control and and sometimes there's a trigger for that, and sometimes it's purely chemical in the brain. So one thing the emergency room can do is just do some blood work and make sure there's not an infection anywhere or urinary infection, an impending bronchitis or some kind of a, a medical condition because these individuals are very sensitive to changes in their own body biology and a little... Mm-hmm. Little infection, a little something can really. So that's one uh, big thing that they can do. They can review all medications and changes in medications to see if a medication was something that could have tipped the person over. Because a lot of times, you know, everyone knows that the things that get into your brain, your valiums, and things like that, can make you more confused. But people don't think about bladder medicines, cold medicines, heart medicines 
And in these patients, they can be so fragile, even like, you know, cold medicines, things that you think of as junk medicines, over-the-counter medicines or antibiotics can can make these people more confused and more psychotic. And one of the things I tell my residents, I have a lot of residents and medical students that work with me when they see the Lewy body patients, is one of the big prognostic things in how well one of these patients does is how good a detective their caregivers are because those that really keep track of things and when the person starts getting more confused, they think, like, what was their sleep-weight cycle? What were their medicines? Did they do anything different? Did their structure change? Did they have any signs of anything that could be an illness? You know, what was going on when this happened before? You, know, they, you can often find triggers for these things, and you can do a lot, and the earlier the better. The ideal thing is to stay on top of it so that they don't get to the point when they're in the ER. Once they're in the ER, though, they can, um, you know, check the blood work, check the urine if necessary. They can look for other metabolic or medical problems that are that are causing the symptoms, um, and that can be uh, very helpful. Now, sometimes they need medications, and the emergency room people can are sometimes brilliant and and sometimes um, not informed on the sensitivity of the Lewy body patient. So uh, most of my Lewy body patients, I, I try to keep it very simple. Less is better is my motto. If you can take away medicines instead of adding them, you're better off. That kind of treatment. Um, well, we are going to go to break. And when we come back, I would like to talk with you more about those medications and also about caregiver problem solving. So let's go to the break now, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Thanks for staying with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Find the healer within you. Listen for Chella's Chat with host Chella Zappia. Does your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual life seem out of balance? Often this lopsided outlook is what drives depression, and that can lead to illness and other problems in your life. Chella's Chat is a discussion program featuring guest experts plus your input. All together, we'll help you understand that there is hope. Tune in to Chella's Chat every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Thank you for staying with us as we go into the last segment of the program. We are discussing Lewy body disease, a very interesting disorder that is a first cousin to Alzheimer's disease and a first cousin to Parkinson's disease, but has its own unique features as well. And we're talking with Dr. Carol Lippa. And before the break, we began to talk about medications, Dr. Lippa. Are the Alzheimer's disease medications used to treat some of the cognitive aspects of Lewy body disorder? Yes, they are. Actually, it's interesting because the Alzheimer's cognitive medications were developed uh, because uh, investigators discovered that the brains of Alzheimer's patients had reduced acetylcholine, a, a, a transmitter in the brain that is important for attention and memory. And so people developed a number of medications, denepazil or Aricept being the first that was FDA approved and the most common one that's used, and they started giving them to Alzheimer's patients. Well, the interesting thing in the Lewy body disease patients is they also get neurofibrillary tangles in these, this, these cholinergic nuclei, but they get Lewy bodies there as well. And, so, and when you look at the pathology, the biology studies, those with Lewy body disease or Lewy body dementia have actually greater cholinergic losses in their brains than those with Alzheimer's disease. So they can have a very good response to these medications. Now, these are symptomatic is that, is medications. Is that early on also, Carol? Is, do, do you see the cholinergic deficit early on in yes. Lewy body? Yes. Yes, okay. we do. We do. And these patients can have a very, uh, a very, very good response to medications. They can, they can improve uh, quite dramatically sometimes. Now, I'm always very careful with the Lewy body disease patient because they can be sensitive to medicines as well. We said a little earlier, you know, when your patient gets delirious or delusional or out of control emotionally or mentally, go back and look at the medications that had been changed recently to see if there's a causative culprit there. So even when you put on a medicine that should be and could be very good for the brain, you never know how it's going to sit with Lewy body patients. I would start slowly with the Lewy body patient in contrast to the normal rate of starting that I would do with an Alzheimer's patient. But you can actually go up very high on the doses of these cholinesterase inhibitors. Exelon is the one that is FDA-approved, ribostigmine, for Parkinson's disease dementia, which is on the Lewy body disease spectrum. That's the only one mm-hmm. that the government has sanctioned, per se, to use in the patient with dementia and Parkinsonism. But uh, don't do have to the, go uh, these other... Do the, do the cholinesterase inhibitors impair motor function at all in this disorder? Theoretically, they can. 
And once in a blue moon, I will have a patient, a body patient or an Alzheimer's patient whose Parkinsonism gets worse. They'll get slower, stiffer. Um, and once in, a, once in a great while, you will have to cut back your dose or stop a medication because it gets so, it's so dramatically worse. So theoretically, yes. And in practice, I have seen it happen. You warn people about it. Um, a lot of times it doesn't. So it's just one of those things that can happen because the same medication that improves attention, your ability to focus and to think and to organize and all those wonderful things we'd love our Lewy body patients to do, those chemicals can also make you move less and stiffen up. Now let's look at the Parkinson's type medications used for the, the movement disorder. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about those? Sure. The best, again, with the Lewy body disorders, keep it simple. Cinnamet or levodopa, carbidopa is the um, sort of the classic, old-fashioned starter medication for Parkinson's disease patients. And a lot of um, a lot of a lot of movement disorders docs, you know, still use it as the main line of treatment with Parkinson's disease, and that's the best medication, really, if you're going to put a Lewy body disease patient on one because it, um, it's less likely to cause trouble mentally. Can it? Yes. Can it cause the hallucinations? Yes. The delusions? Yes. The anxiety, agitation, fluctuation? Yes, yes, yes. So you have to, it's like a double-edged sword. The medication has the potential to help the movement. It does not do it as consistently as it does in pure Parkinson's disease. In Parkinson's disease, if you give someone sentiment, they can walk out of your office a new person. You know, it's just a mm-hmm. dramatic, dramatic improvement very quickly. A Lewy body patient, it's about 50-50 whether a patient will benefit from the medication at all. And they can have a worsening of their uh, psychiatric uh symptoms on it. So you want to, again, start very low, increase very slowly, warn the families of side effects, and hope that you have very observant caregivers that can pick up early on. The good thing about the sentiment, it has a very short half-life. So if you do have a family that's watching and there is worsening confusion or hallucinations early on, you can stop the medicine very quickly and get back baseline. You you really want to keep them vigilant about it. Um, if you wait until they get fully psychotic and they're the person in the emergency room, <laughs> then you're going to have a whole new set of risks if they have to come into the hospital. Yes. Um, you know, occasionally, uh, fortunately not often, I still will see someone come in. There may have been a history of bipolar disorder or something like that, taking a medication and then picking up benztropine, you know, cogentin, which is an anticholinergic, which would exacerbate memory problems, and uh, and then presenting with the, the complex of cognitive deficits and, and uh, poor regulation of movements as well. So, there mm-hmm. are a number of medications yep. that can be offenders in this area. Yep, absolutely. And, you you know, in a way you're between a rock and a hard place, but if you really look at what are the most distressing symptoms to the patient, what are the symptoms that the caregiver absolutely cannot deal with, and you focus on them and you work 
very kind of slowly and methodically to see what you can do, then a lot of times there's quite a lot that you can do to help these patients. Yes. Well, I am so very grateful to you for joining us on this radio program and giving us this wealth of information. Uh, I uh, uh, am especially thankful to you in view of your very, very busy schedule. I want to mention again the Lewy Body Dementia Association. You and I both rely a lot on caregiver reports and caregiver observations. And this Lewy Body Dementia Association, as well as the Alzheimer's Association and other groups like the Frontotemporal Dementia Group, can train people in how to observe and how to make decisions as caregivers. Well, coming right. up next week, uh, we have neurologist uh, Dr. Ron DeVere, author of Memory Loss, Everything You Wanted to Know But Forget to Ask. Uh, following that, we will have a program on communicating with people with language difficulties, and then a program following that on elder loss. So I hope that these programs are interesting to you. And um, Carol, again, I cannot express to you how grateful I am for you taking the time to share your expertise and experience. Well, thank you for asking me, Sam. I think it's important to uh, bring visibility to this condition. I think there are a lot of people that uh, would benefit by the LBDA uh, website and by learning more about Lewy body diseases. So I appreciate being asked. All right. Thank you very much, and we will be back with you next week. Thank you for listening to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.